0: Welcome to Smart Habits for Translators, a podcast for translators by translators, bringing you simple strategies to build better habits. In each episode, we'll focus on specific habits for translators in various stages of their careers. If you're a translator who enjoys learning about habits to improve your business and lifestyle, then this is the podcast for you. We're your hosts, Madalena Sanchez Zampaolo
1: and Veronica de Michelis. Like you, we are professional freelance translators, trying to balance the challenges that come with building a career and maintaining clarity and boundaries between work and personal life. We hope you'll join us in this conversation about smart habits and discover some simple strategies you can apply today to help you build your career and achieve the lifestyle you desire. Welcome to Smart Habits for Translators. This is episode 40, and we're excited to welcome another special guest to the podcast to share a conversation with us about a topic we all deal with as freelancers. Managing finances is one area of business that all freelancers and small business owners have to deal with on a regular basis. And translators and interpreters are no exception. Owning a small business often means that you wear many hats, and let's face it, the role of CFO, or Chief Financial Officer, is one that a lot of us struggle with, or even dread. We often hear colleagues ask questions about managing the financial side of their business and financial planning, and we're interested in these topics too. And because the financial side of a business is so vital to get right, it's always best to ask a professional. So to discuss this topic with us today, we've invited a special guest, certified financial planner and accredited financial counselor, Pamela Kapalid. Pamela has been in the financial services industry since 2008. She founded Brunch and Budget to help people who felt ashamed or embarrassed about money have a safe and friendly place to talk about it and make real financial progress. Her mission is to make financial planning as affordable as possible for the communities who need it most. She co-hosts the Brunch and Budget podcast and co-founded the Race and Wealth podcast network. She also runs a group financial planning program called See Change, specifically designed for people of color. Pam has been featured in the Washington Post, Teen Vogue, Huffington Post, Vice Magazine, and other places you've heard of. She was named in New York's magazine, Best of New York 2019, and has brunched with over 400 people and counting. Welcome, Pamela.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: Yes, thanks for joining us, Pamela. We first
0: heard about Brunch and Budget in your interview on the Deliberate Freelancer Podcast in 2019, and we just really loved your company's mission and have also become fans of your own podcasts.
2: Oh, Uh, thank you.
0: Yeah, they're really, really helpful, especially for word people like us. Um, We highly recommend the Brunch and Budget Podcast and the Race and Wealth Podcast to all of our listeners. We'll link to both of those in the show notes. So we really wanted to bring a financial planning expert to the podcast and we're thrilled to have you here and we are looking forward to hearing all your tips. So let's jump right in. Um, Pamela, could you tell us about your business? For example, what services do you offer? What kinds of clients do you work with and how has your
2: business evolved over time? Oh yes! Oh, brunch and budget. Uh, it feels like it started so long ago. I actually <laughs> brunch and budget was kind of an accident. I uh, I was working in wealth management, and I really, uh, I really thought that I was going to do wealth management. And then I I actually have another uh, business called Pockets Change that I started with uh, a friend who's an educator, and that is a hip hop and finance workshop program for youth and I thought I was gonna do wealth management and go back and teach kids about money we were writing a curriculum for schools at that time too and it was like the path that I thought I was gonna be on Mm -hmm. and the more I spent time in wealth management and learning about finances the more I realized that, oh my gosh, my friends my age don't have this information either. <laughs> like, yes, the youth need it, but so do mm-hmm. we. And uh, I found this out because uh, my friends found out that I worked in finance and they would just come up to me and ask questions about, like, what's an IRA? How do I check my credit score? Like, I've never budgeted before. They would like confess these things to me, right? Mm-hmm. At like parties. Um, and brunch and budget really started when a friend came up to me and said, Pam, I know I need to check my credit and I never have. And I'm so afraid to look. And I said, why don't we do it over brunch or something? And she was like, yes. She said yes immediately. And I it, that was the moment where I felt like I was onto something. And as I started to literally like have meals with people and break bread with people and have them talk about their finances with me and share these financial fears and shame and embarrassment they had around money, Um it, the the fact that we were able to do it over a meal really allowed us to like have these deeper conversations and find common ground. Mm. And that's really what the genesis of brunch and budget is. And that, that feeling and that ethos is something that I took with me in terms of building out the business. And so the other thing that I realized after having these brunches was that people were really excited after the brunch and I would send them a long list of follow-up and to-do items. Mm-hmm. And I'd check in with them a couple months later and they were like, oh I didn't actually do anything or they wouldn't respond to me at all because they were just like embarrassed that like they didn't do anything after our brunch mm-hmm. and I realized that the next step was to actually help people implement all this advice right you hear financial advice all the time and even when it's personalized to you and it's something that cu- it's customized for you you go and try to open an IRA and you get to that weird question that you don't know how to answer and you're like oh god I'll just do this tomorrow yeah. and then you never do it again right yeah. and so uh, brunch and budget one of the main services that we offer is we actually do a monthly, um, we call it a monthly financial planning, coaching and advocacy program. It's called Budge. And uh, we actually put together a financial plan for clients and meet with them every single month to actually help them implement everything. And that includes helping them open IRAs. I've called student loan servicers and collections agencies. We've helped them check credit scores. We've helped them like take out a mortgage on a home and like go through that whole process. And what we found is a lot of our clients really need the support on that end and especially our freelancer clients you work with so many freelancers who they they never thought of themselves even as business owners before right mm-hmm. they just like started freelancing mm-hmm. and they you know they got that first big tax bill and they're like oh my god i'm way i'm in way over my head <laughs> and a lot of our freelancer clients also rely on us to help them not only with their personal financial planning but also their business financial planning and there's so much that goes into that that meeting every month Um, with someone on the team, with one of our financial planners has allowed people to really build that foundation when it comes to their business and like have some peace of mind so they can really work on the business part of it and know that the financial stuff is also being taken care of.
0: Wow. That is so helpful to so many people. I can imagine, you know, I think about what you said about giving advice and then people becoming overwhelmed and they actually don't follow through with it. And I think that when it comes to people's money, that's probably very common, Mm -hmm. Yeah, wow. Well, your business has evolved a lot over time. So thanks for for that full circle um, story. Uh, So what does a typical work day look like for you? And what changes have you had to make uh, because of the pandemic?
2: So it's so funny because I've been using Zoom since 2016. Y'all. Yeah, me too. Exactly. <laughs> I thought it was so funny when people said, oh, I have to use Zoom. I don't know how this works. They're like, I've been using this for years. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, it's been this really strange transition with the pandemic. Mm-hmm. So uh, a typical workday is because after the first brunch, when we used to meet with people in person, everything else after that was virtual because these monthly calls are 15 to 20 minutes long. And they're designed to be like, hey, let's talk about what tasks you need to get done. Let's talk about your cash flow. Let's look at everything and then allow you to move on with your life, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And Mm so Zoom and meeting virtually just made sense uh, for the types of clients that we were working with. And so that's how we've been working with clients since brunch and budget started on an ongoing basis. And one of the biggest changes we had to make was of course not seeing people in person for brunches. We transitioned into doing um, virtual brunch sessions, what we call them, Uh, But a big part of it is, especially right when the pandemic hit, is our our first brunches have always been pay what you can. And we've always encouraged people to do that just because we want people to have access to a financial planner. But when the pandemic hit, we said, listen, if you can pay like a dollar pay a dollar and talk to a financial planner, right? We really made explicit that it was like people were losing their jobs. People were like having to go on food stamps for the first time. People, you know, people were like, you know, having to go on credit card debt or couldn't pay their credit card debt or like were draining their savings. And so Mm. we wanted to be a resource for our community to be able to actually have these conversations and like talk to someone who is professional and could guide them through this really like, terrible and horrifying, unprecedented, like financial event in a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. right? Along with being a health event. Mm -hmm. Um, So we really leaned into doing those virtual brunches. And I have to just give props to my team in general. We did 145 one-on-one sessions between March and November of last year. Um, yeah, yeah. And people there are people who paid like literally a penny just to make sure that the you know payment could go through and they could book. Uh-huh. And there are people who also <laughs> paid like $600 for a session because they were like, I'm still resourced, right? I still have money to pay for this stuff. Mm. And so I think um, that aspect of our business has changed in terms of the urgency of things, um, having to be 100% virtual. And also I think really helping clients get through especially our ongoing clients like through all of the stimulus package things all of the changes all of the yeah. all of the all of the uh big things that the government passed that really was trying to support freelancers and small businesses mm-hmm. so having to like really learn the ins and outs of PPP loans for instance right and the mm-hmm. economic injury disaster loans and understanding how to navigate SBA websites it was a whole other skill set that we had to really learn on the fly um, and it was something that it, it became like a daily conversation of like, okay, what's the new thing that they're putting out? Or like, did you see this in news or things like that? Um, hmm. And I think that it was a weird transition because the like physical day to day of what we had to do didn't change, right? We talk about this all the time as a team is like, we all knew how to use Zoom, we'd all been using it, our clients didn't have to learn how to use anything new. But the conversations that we had around money and the urgency around it. And also, I think, I, I honestly thought that a lot of our clients were not going to be able to continue with us. We were prepared to like end contracts early and lower rates and things like that. And it's interesting because mm-hmm. I think a lot of our clients ended up feeling like our services were more essential during the pandemic. Right. Um, and I think that that us really like hunkering down and making it a priority to to stay on top of these things for our clients is something that we're particularly proud of in terms of getting through the pandemic and continuing to get through the pandemic. Wow, oh, it's mm.
1: amazing. Yeah. Kudos to you and your team for doing that. Oh, thank you. Yeah.
0: And just with helping people in general about their finances, it's like what you were saying that people said, I've never used a budget or I've never done this before. And I think there's a lot of shame yeah. Yeah. that people have about their, their finances and how where they think they should be or what they should be doing, or especially now with all the financial stress people are under because of COVID, you know, I think there's a lot of shame that people don't even want to talk about it, or they don't know where they can go to talk Mm -hmm. about it or get help.
1: Yeah. Many people Mm. are not comfortable asking for help too. Um, All right. So we wanted to to talk to you about mindset, um, because mindset is such a critical factor for growing a successful business. Um, And what are some of the biggest mindset shifts or changes that you see your clients go through as they start working with you?
2: Oh, my goodness. All my freelancers out there, you're probably not charging enough for your services. Let's just start right there. (laughs) That is probably the first and number one conversation that we have with our freelancer Mm -hmm. clients is, are your rates actually high enough for the work that you're doing? Uh, And especially women, especially POC, we're taught to undervalue our work, right? We're taught Mm -hmm. to be grateful that a client even wants to work with us, Uh, (laughs) right? Thank you for giving me money. It's like, no, you are paying for a service that you find valuable and we need to charge in a way that's commensurate with that. Mm -hmm. And so that is a really, that is one of the biggest mindset shifts in particular for freelancers, that we spend time talking about. And the way that we do that is we actually go through 12-month cash flow projections with them. With all of our freelancer clients, we project out what they anticipate their year is going to look like. And what's Mm -hmm. great about that is, one, they're able to see where the peaks and valleys of their income are throughout the year. And that not only allows them to say, oh, let me market more during this time or, oh, let me take a vacation during this time, right? But it also Mm -hmm. allows them to see what it could look like if they increase their rate just by a little bit. What would it look like if they doubled their rate? What would it look like Mm -hmm. if, you know, they just one and a half times their rate and to be able to play around with those numbers and look at one, how much less work they'd have to do, how many less clients they would have to take on and how much more time they could potentially have off is, is like when you see those numbers and you see all of that play out throughout the year, Um, then it starts to change how you think about your work and how you value your work. Because the other side Mm -hmm. of it is when you're a freelancer, you are not getting paid for every hour that you work. You're only getting paid for the hours that you're in front of clients, right? You're not getting paid for those hours that you market to clients, that you go back and forth with clients, Mm -hmm. that you send the invoice, that you set up your accounting, right? That you you know, all of these other things that you have to do to run the business need to be built into your hourly rate because you're not getting paid 40 hours a week. You're getting paid for literally the hours that you're working when you're a freelancer. And I think right. understanding that and recognizing that is like such a huge mindset shift for a lot of freelancers. I think that the other thing to really think about um, as a freelancer, and I have clients who thought they wanted to freelance and they went through and they're like, I don't actually want to do this. And that's the other thing is like, it's okay if you try it and you're like, this is actually not for me. I want to go work for someone. Mm -hmm. I want them to take care of all the business stuff. I just want to be able to do the work that I want to do and go home. Right. And I think that there's such a, there's such a culture right now around like working for yourself and running your own business. And we glamorize Mm -hmm. it without actually talking about the, the types of like unglamorous things that you have to do to keep it running, right? And I yeah. think that's something that we like to have a conversation with clients about as well.
1: That is so important, and it's 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 I'm sure is a pain painful lesson, but it's such a valuable lesson to to learn and such valuable exercise to go through. And even if you have to admit that you know freelancing is not for yeah. you, you have learned all these things in a process and you have made a decision Well, and there's
2: relief around that too right you're like right. oh my god someone told me that i should be freelancing i could make so much more money my friend uh-huh. who's doing the same thing is making more money and it's like because they enjoy freelancing and it's okay if you don't there's lots of ways to make money the other myth that i feel like i hear a lot about when it comes to freelancing and having your own business is that as an employee your income is limited but as a business owner your income is limitless and i'm like Mm. what that's totally fake and made up not true. Your income is still limited to your own capacity and your capacity of your team, right? Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that's the other side of it is, you know, we're told that the other side of the rainbow is being a business owner and being a freelancer, when the reality is like there's lots of ways to make money on both sides of it.
1: Mm. Right. So you've named a few, but what are some um, other common mistakes that you see freelancers making when it comes to financial habits? um, And what tips do you have on how to avoid them?
2: Yes, the first thing that comes to mind is taxes. Taxes, taxes, taxes. <laughs> I know we all were shocked when we got our first paycheck and our taxes were taken out. And we were like, oh my God, I can't believe you took 20% of my paycheck or 30% of my paycheck. But then we all got used to it, right? And we were all like, oh, okay, this is just what I take home as an employee. And then you freelance and you get that first check and you're like, oh my God, this is amazing. And nobody yeah. tells you that <laughs> that's pre tax money that's pre-tax money. Oh, I think we all know more about it now because so many more people are freelancing. And then we have the like the Uber, Lyft, Instacart, DoorDash, those monoliths that are just taking advantage of gig economy workers, right? So I think a lot more people are like theoretically aware of taxes when it comes to freelancing and getting paid in pre-tax dollars and getting 1099s and things like that. But The habit of actually setting aside the money for taxes feels a lot more painful when you're a freelancer, right? You look at that $1,000 check and you're like, you want me to put $300 of that away and give it to to the IRS? Like that's what it is. It's way easier when you just don't even see it at all. And I think that that's one of the big habits that I encourage freelancers to do. And when we are diligent with our clients about it, we're like, open a tax savings account. It can be tied to your business checking account, whatever is easiest for you. Open that tax savings account. Every time you get a check, once a week, once a month, whatever rhythm makes sense for you, set aside 25 to 30% of that into that tax savings account. Pay quarterly taxes. And by the time tax season comes around, you're done with taxes right mm-hmm. you did it already you saved all the money you paid the quarterly taxes i think getting the system in place where it where you don't have to think about taxes anymore is probably one of the number one things that will give you relief as a freelancer um the other thing when it comes to freelancing is I definitely have plenty of freelance clients who have been freelancing for like seven years, eight years, ten years, 15 years and have never separated their business and personal expenses oh, for whatever yeah. reason I've had accounts whose clients have who've, whose accountants have told them they don't have to do that and I'm like, excuse no. me <laughs> I know <laughs> right you're like oh the pain And again the the thing about free if we want to go back to the mindset shift thing, A lot of freelancers, we're not taught to think of ourselves as business owners, too, Hmm. right? We're like, Mm -hmm. oh, this is just money that I'm making. And it's like as if I was an employee without really. And then you learn the hard way all of these things that you also have to take care of. And I think when you separate your business spending from your personal spending and you come up with a system for that, that's like the next layer of you being Mm -hmm. able to feel relief as a freelancer and like really getting all of that done. And so. Having a separate account, especially if you're new to freelancing, it could feel a little cumbersome to open a business checking account, right? You file, you have to file a business entity and get a tax ID and all of that stuff. The reality is, especially if you're new to it, you could just have a separate checking account that's also a personal account that holds all of your business income and mm-hmm. uh, is the account that you spend all of your business expenses out of. This is really all about physically separating the money and physically separating the expenses. It doesn't matter if you have a business entity yet. It doesn't matter if you ever form a business entity. What matters is that you physically separate it in some way. And that is one of those habits, especially if you have to unlearn it, that can feel very hard to get into. Um, And so one easy way to potentially start is to have a credit card that you don't use very much. And use that as your business credit card, right? All of your business Mm. expenses come out of there and that card gets paid out of your business checking account. And so Mm. that way, especially if you're used to using credit cards, it's an easy way to do that and make sure that your business expenses are still getting taken care of uh, without necessarily having to open a business account right away and still like knowing that things are separated in some way. Because also come tax time, you're not spending three days putting together all of your books for your accountant to do, right? Yeah.
1: Um,
2: And then the other thing is, as a freelancer, uh, the other financial habit that I want to mention is really like trying to do everything yourself. Like, no, you do not have to do your own taxes as a freelancer. Please don't do your own taxes as a freelancer. It's not as easy as W2. You're going to miss deductions. Your accountant is going to ask you questions that you wouldn't have known to ask yourself. And I think figuring out how to outsource and figuring out how to hire other people to help you do the things that you're either not good at or that you hate doing, we get so caught up in trying to keep every dollar in our pockets because, Mm -hmm. you know, it really feels like we earned those dollars. But... I found that the thing that stifles freelancers from growing the most is not delegating and not outsourcing the things that take up way too much of your time. Yeah, definitely. And that's actually a really good
0: point, talking about expenses in general. Um, For freelancers and small business owners, it can be really hard to prioritize even what to spend money on. Uh, Like there are so many things that you could consider expenses for professional development, networking events, software and tools. And that's just a few of the items and taxes, of course, is another area, um, you know, that you have to put money aside. So what tips do you have uh, for freelancers on
2: responsible spending? Yeah, I want to go back to that cash flow projection uh, sheet that I talked about and just like projecting out your expenses over 12 months. I don't care what spreadsheet you use, but the value of projecting out your income over 12 months is you can also project out your expenses over 12 months Mm. because if you only project out your income and you don't project out your expenses, you're missing half the story, right? Mm. And then you think you can do all of these things because you see that income number and you find out at the end of the year that you're like, holy crap, I like – I wasn't able to like actually like have the lifestyle that I wanted. And I think Mm -hmm. that um, when it comes to things like professional development, networking, you know, that software that you have to have. I remember pre-pandemic times when I first put together my cash flow, I really, really, really wanted to rent a co-working space. I was like, oh my God, Mm -hmm. that's what freelancers do. We like go to a co-working space. We (laughs) mingle with other freelancers. We like, you know, we have happy hours and all this stuff, just like work, but it's my choice, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And I projected the co-working space costs into my first cash flow projections that I did. And I saw the numbers and I was like, oh no, I can't actually <laughs> afford this. Like As soon as I took the co-working space costs out, the numbers actually worked and I was going to break even that first year with the cash flow projections. And if I hadn't done those projections, because emotionally I still wanted that co-working space even after I saw the numbers. I was just like, maybe I'll wait to get one next year, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but seeing those numbers helped me make a different decision, because I was like, okay, and even if you decide to make that decision anyway, you have the full picture in front of you, and I think that's the best way to really prioritize what to spend money on, is one, project it out, see the numbers, and also, If it does put you in the red a little bit, like what is the value that you anticipate that you're going to get from it? Whether it's monetary, whether it's building your network, whether it's like, you know, having these connections, whether it's being able to scale differently or better because of a certain software, whatever it is, like I want you to actually make that decision, having the numbers in front of you and not basing it on emotion because that's the hardest thing as a business owner is you're going to feel so much more emotional about every decision that you make because it's it's your business, right? It's your baby. And so if you can figure out how to take away some of that emotion by putting it down on paper and looking at what the numbers tell you, I think that's the number way, one one way to really prioritize how to spend your money as a business owner.
0: Yeah, for sure. And and it's hard to sit down and do that, but it's, you know, it's the big picture situation. And um, speaking of big pictures, A lot of freelancers struggle with looking at the big picture, um, and it can be difficult to do that when you're kind of in the frame of mind of, you know, just putting out fires all the time. Um, So do you have any tips and strategies on how to save for big ticket items like expensive conferences, courses, planning for retirement, Mm. or, you know, there's lots of other things, I'm sure.
2: Yeah, the thing, the putting out fires thing. Ooh, that's so real. (laughs) That's how it always feels, especially when you're like in the rhythm of freelancing, right? And you're like, I have these clients that I'm working on now, I have these clients that. I'm sunsetting out. I have these new clients that I'm trying to onboard. I have these prospects that I'm trying to become clients. All of these things you're like thinking about and at the same time you're trying to run your business. And it can be difficult to step away from it and work on the business. I've, I didn't make that up. Plenty of people say that mm-hmm. you spend so much time working in your business that you don't have time to work on your business. And I think that the thing to really think about and you know, we do this with our team is we have quarterly team meetings that are, like, two-hour blocks where you actually talk about the business. And if you can do that for yourself and you block out – and I I suggest doing it every quarter because that's a long enough amount of time where you still have time to, like, you know, live your life and run your business. Mm-hmm. But also it's a short amount enough of time that you don't turn around and you're like, where did the year go? Um, so to go on, like, quarterly financial dates with yourself and really look back at the year. So this is a good time to review – your cash flow and compare what actually came into your cash flow projections. And then look at what you look at what happened and review it and analyze it and think about like, oh, if I had this software, if I went to this conference, if I took this course, could the next quarter be different? Mm-hmm, Would the mm-hmm. next quarter look different? Would the next year look different if I took the time to do this now? And then because you're looking at it every quarter, you're able to budget in not only the money, but also the time. Like the things you describe take time, right? Going to a conference, taking a course, that's not just like money out of your business, that's time out of your business. And so figuring out what that will cost you in terms of time and money, I think is going to be really important. And to be able to future project like that, this is why these quarterly financial dates are so important. Mm -hmm. Um, When it comes to things like planning for retirement, uh, this is, (laughs) this is. Oh my gosh, this is the evolution of like labor and work, I feel like, right? It's like first it was social security and then companies gave you pensions and they switched to 401ks and they're like, you should work for yourself. Now you have to figure out your own retirement. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. and planning for retirement as a freelancer, especially because you're putting out those fires and you're just so in your business every day can feel like the last thing on your mind. Mm -hmm. One of the nice things though as a freelancer is – You only really have to think about it once a year. Um, You can set aside money for retirement regularly, but for the most part, um, I would recommend, especially if you're a solo freelancer, to look into what's called a SEP IRA. SEP, Simplified Employer Pension, is what it stands for. And basically, it allows you to set aside. Uh, up to 25% of your income as a freelancer, and this is your net income, so your accountant is going to help you calculate what this actual amount is, for retirement into the SEP IRA, and you get a tax deduction on every dollar that you put in there. So basically mm. for every dollar that you put in, you get like $20 off. Wow. So just to give you an idea, yeah, I, I, I when I contributed to my SEP IRA, I put in $11,250, and it took $2,800 off my tax bill, like right off the wow. bat. Uh, Yeah, it's it's great. And it's you giving money to yourself. And on the other side of that, of course, is you can't take out the money. So you're 59 and a half. So Mm -hmm. be careful with what dollars you do put into your SEP IRA that they don't actually need to go back into the business. And then Mm -hmm. also uh, when you do take the money out, that's when you're taxed. So you get the tax deduction now with a SEP IRA and then you're taxed later when you actually withdraw the money. Um, but all of that money is growing in an investment account because an IRA is an individual retirement account which is invested in the stock market. So you're able to actually have that money grow. So by the time you take it out for retirement, that account has grown over 10, 15, 20 years. Um, and that's why you can't touch it to your 59 and a half because they're like, no, we want you to leave the money in there, right? This is for mm-hmm. future, future you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's a really good way to just start thinking about it. And what's great, again, is like, you can only calculate your set by IRA once you know what your income has been for the year. So really, you only have to think about retirement once a year, and then you put that lump sum in, and then you can move on. The key is to save the lump sum. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, save the lump sum. If you want, you can have your tax savings account put aside like thirty-five or forty percent, mm-hmm. and then your tax savings account can also be your retirement savings account. Oh, that's a good tip.
1: Yeah. Um, so you mentioned um, you know outsourcing and getting he- people to help you. With, with certain tasks earlier um, and we wanted to ask you uh, what are some questions that freelancers should ask when they're looking for a financial planner?
2: The main thing I would ask is have you worked with freelancers before? Mm-hmm. <laughs> there are plenty yeah. of financial planners who have never worked with freelancers or business owners and don't really have any experience doing that. Uh, and so they're not really going to know the ins and outs of how to advise you on how to structure your business. They're also not necessarily going to be focused on you putting money back into your business or Mm -hmm. advise you on how and when to do that. And so really working with a financial planner who works with freelancers regularly is probably the most important thing when talking to a financial planner um i think that figuring out what their style is and what their support their level of support is and if it's a match with yours like there are plenty of people who come to us and they're like i don't need to meet with you once a month uh, and then they don't become our clients right and there are other people mm-hmm. who are like oh my god if i meet with you once a month it'll be the only time i think about my finances so that's what we need right um, and so finding out if their service model is a fit for you too and what your needs are is also really important. And then also understanding like how deep they go into um, into their services when it comes to freelance. So for instance, like at Brunch and Budget, we're not accountants. We don't do taxes. We don't do bookkeeping. We coordinate with uh, clients' accountants and we advise on it and we review their books with them and things like that. But if you want someone to be like, Everything in-house, financial planner, accountant, and, you know, bookkeeper and all of that stuff, then not – well, there's not many firms I know that do that, um, for one, <laughs> because accounting and financial planning are different things, but um, – but I think just understanding how deep uh, how deep your planner is going to go with you. There are plenty of financial planners who, while they work with business owners, don't sit down and like do cash flow projections with them, right? They don't sit down and help mm-hmm. them open business accounts or structure business entities or things like that. I think that the thing to also ask is, is your financial planner giving advice? And then you go and run with it or are they helping you implement it? Because there are also Mm -hmm. plenty of people who come to us and they're like, we just want advice. And we're like, okay, well, then you should work with us. (laughs) And there are plenty of people who are like, no, we need help doing all of it too. And those are the ones who end up working with us. And I think that is, I think that's an important distinction. And there are plenty of people who are like, I want to DIY it. And so I want to work with a financial planner who will tell me what to do. And then I'm going to go and do it and then, uh, you know, reach out to them again when I need help again, and I need more advice Mm -hmm. again. Um, So it really comes down to styles. I think that for everyone when it comes to a financial planner, asking them how they get paid is super important. So finding out if they also get paid selling products like insurance or investments um, or, uh, or annuities or all of these other things, right? Um, And the thing, the reason why I think that's really important, because there's a lot of people who can call themselves financial planners or financial advisors, like there's no rules in the industry on who can call themselves a financial advisor. And plenty of people will tell you like, oh, I'll put together your financial plan for free. And it's like, (laughs) oh, wait, but what does that actually mean? Right? Does that mean you're going to try and sell me insurance? Does that mean you're going to try and put me into expensive investment products? Right? Does that mean you're going to put me into products that actually aren't good for me, but make you a high commission? Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think it's important one of the terms in financial planning to look for is fee only. So if you want a financial planner who doesn't sell products, then fee only is the term that the industry uses when looking for a financial planner. So that's another thing to ask for, no matter what your industry or whether you're a freelancer or an employee. Oh, great tips. Thank you. What we like to ask our
1: guests all the time is uh, something that has to do with uh, drawing boundaries between your work and your personal life. And it can be really hard to do when you love what you do and you're committed to growing your business. Um, sometimes work can start you know, affecting your personal life and, and, and creeping into other areas of your life. <laughs> uh, and especially when you work from home, like many of us do these days. So how do you try to protect the boundaries between your work and personal life?
2: Oh my gosh, <laughs> I don't know. I started seeing a therapist. <laughs> mm-hmm. Me and my therapist talk about this all the time. Mm. It's so hard, especially as a business owner, right? (laughs) Um, And I love the term that you have work-life clarity versus work-life balance, because I think the reality is when you're a business owner, you don't get to turn it off when you go home, Mm -hmm. right? You don't get to turn it off when you shut off your computer or you like close your emails or whatever it is, because even when you technically shut it off, your mind is still going. You're like going to bed thinking about your business. And that's just the reality of it. And I think coming to terms with that is one something that I am learning how to do personally still, (laughs) even like six years into this. Um and the other thing is figuring out how to create boundaries that work for you. So for instance, like I've experimented with my schedule a lot and have um and have come to realize that I only want to see clients on certain days and during certain parts of the day. Mm -hmm. So I'm very deliberate about when, um, when clients can schedule meetings Mm -hmm. with me. Right. And then that way there are not so many exceptions to the rule. And I'm not like worried about meeting with a client at 9am and then also having to meet with a client at 5pm, which is how I used to do it. Right. It was like, Oh, my schedule is technically open. So here you go. Um, so limiting the time that you actually spend on meetings and seeing clients if that's something that's part of your work is really important and the other side of it is so I just had a son in 2019 Mm. and he's a year and a half now almost a year and a half and that also changed everything for me in terms of figuring out how to actually find time to spend with him so I decided this year that I'm taking Wednesdays off great I love I'm it. just like when I read an article saying, if you really want to feel like you have a break, take Wednesday yeah. off mm. because then there's always no more than two days to go. Oh, no, right? That's smart. Um, <laughs> that helps. <laughs> yeah. I, and I, it's, it has been like ups and downs. And sometimes I have a meeting or a workshop that's booked because it was booked before I made the mm-hmm. decision or I was like, okay, I'm making an exception or whatever it is. But for the most part, um, I have that day blocked off. My team knows it's blocked off. And what's great about it is a client can email me on Tuesday and I'll get back to them on Thursday, right? Instead of like trying to take a Friday Mm -hmm. off and a client gets back to you on – emails you on Thursday and you're like, oh shit, I better get back to them on Friday or they Mm -hmm. won't hear from me for four days, right? Um, And so I think that is something that personally has started working for me. I started at the beginning of the year and I'm really just starting to feel the positive effects of it. At first – truly and honestly, it was very uncomfortable for me to be like, I'm just not, I'm just going to try and not work today because that's not weird, right? <laughs> um, so I I really encourage people to experiment with what work-life clarity means for them and what it can look like for them practically because I've, I've been experimenting for the last six years on what that means for me, right? Um, and I think too, the other side of it is like figuring out how to deal with, like, the days where you know you're just going to be tired, mm. right? When you look at the next day and you look at the schedule and you're like, oh, my God, it's going to be a long day. Yeah. And I'm probably not going to be able to sleep tonight because I'm thinking about how much of a long day it is tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and knowing that, like, that's, like, part of it too, right? And maybe you'll get better the next time it's a long day and maybe the next time it's a long day you'll be able to, like, have a full night's sleep or whatever, Um and i'm just talking about me but this is like this is like a habit that i've noticed on the other side of it when i have those kinds of days and i think kind of recognizing that and naming it and understanding how how it makes you feel is also really important to think about as a freelancer too mm.
0: Very helpful, yeah.
2: And those are some good ways to think about work-life
0: clarity because you know they can also shift as your lifestyle shifts and things change in your business or your home or whatever. So I think that's really cool to mm-hmm. use. You mentioned that, and that's a actually another term we got from um, Melanie Paget Powers uh, from the Deliberate Freelancer, and we love to share that one. And it's definitely resonated with our listeners. Uh, but I love the idea of taking off on a Wednesday. We have a colleague who also was with us on the podcast, Matt Baird, and he takes off on Fridays. But he, I mean, he set himself up for it. He let all his clients know ahead of time and he really went for it. And mm. he's he said, so not every single Friday, but most Fridays. And I, I admire that a lot. Love it. Yeah. So finally, Pamela, what are some smart habits that have been
2: crucial in your career? And you've shared a lot already with us. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Yeah, smart habits have been crucial in my career. I'm trying to think if there's (laughs) anything that I haven't shared with you yet. Um, I think that the the thing I really want to emphasize is figuring Mm. out how to make time to work on your business. I know we talked about it already, but it's something that it can really get lost in the shuffle. And there have been years where I didn't do that. Right? Where I didn't goal set at the beginning of the year and I didn't plan out what was going to happen and I didn't go on those quarterly dates with myself. And those were harder years, you know? Those were like way more difficult. I had the year felt cloudier, if that makes sense. And I think that giving Mm -hmm. yourself the time to do that. Um, is going to be really important, especially if you find yourself feeling cloudy or you're like, I feel like I'm stuck where I am and I don't know how to grow. Or I don't know what direction I need to go in next. Or I don't know what I want, right? And I think that's one really important thing that I've made sure to prioritize, not only for myself, but also now for the team that we have. Um, the other thing is I have really, really worked hard to keep, the business and personal finances is separate um, because the first year that I started doing brunch and budget, I didn't take my own advice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, that was one smart habit that I didn't do for myself in the first year because the money started trickling in and it wasn't that much. And I was like, oh, I don't know where this is going anyway. So mm-hmm. let me just like, you know, let's see what happens. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, like I looked back and I was like, Oh my god, how did this happen? When did I start making this money? How much of this money is money that I made? Like how much of it came from my savings? I don't know. Mm-hmm. And so after that first year, that was something that I really just like buckled down on and really said, like, nope, have to separate it, have to hire an accountant, like have to hire a bookkeeper as soon as it makes sense. Like all of those things that I think um that really helped me at least financially separate my business from my personal life really made it so that I didn't Mm -hmm. also feel so lost in my business.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's incredibly important. Thank you so much for these great tips, Pam. Um, It's it's been a joy uh, talking to you and you shared such clear, actionable advice that... and great reminders for all of us, like um, you know, to to take your business seriously and to put in the effort and the time and um, and and make some decisions, even even if they're hard, you know. And um, I think one one uh, about outsourcing and getting help and prioritizing the time on your business um, can be can be a tough one to to really implement and, and follow through mm-hmm. on, but it's really important. Um, so before we wrap up, we'd love to um, ask you to join us for a special segment that we've dubbed our guests' favorites. Uh, we'd like to ask our guests to share something about a favorite book, or tool, or resource. So is there anything you'd like to recommend? Yes. So
2: I haven't finished this book yet, but it's quickly become one of my favorites. It's called Emergent Strategy by Adrian Marie Brown.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: the, the basic premise of the book is small is all. And I think that there's also this weird pressure as business owners and freelancers to like grow super big and always <laughs> yeah. be scaling and always yeah. be like expanding, right? Uh-huh. And the thing about this book that I found really beautiful is so the the crux of this book is based around um, these starling murmurations, right? And these these bird patterns. And a lot of scientists have tried to figure out How, you know, hundreds of thousands or even a million birds can fly together and create these like murmurations, what they call them, but these bird patterns and also Mm -hmm. be able to do it without a leader, right? There is no one leader that's a bird. And they when they started studying them, they realized that the way these birds were able to do it is each bird only paid attention to the seven closest birds around them. Oh, wow. Yeah. And that's how they're able to create these huge movements. And there's something so powerful in that. Right. And there's like a bit of relief in that where you don't have to be the one. Right. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be the one that creates the big business that solves everything. But I think that that book has helped me really think about how much more important community care and collective care is, especially when it comes to us being freelancers, us being business owners. And really, like it, it's hard to not feel isolated, right? It's hard to not feel like you're doing this yeah. alone and to create that community around you and also know that community doesn't have to be so huge for you to be able to be part of this movement. And that is one of the more powerful things that I've gotten out of this book. It's fascinating
0: yeah. it's, it reminds me of um what is it called the company of one that book i forget who wrote mm. that it's called company of one and it's sort of a similar concept that you know it's, there's nothing wrong with staying small you can still you know have time and earn great money and not be you know constantly thinking about expanding and yeah it's interesting very Love good that. concept to to let soak in um But anyway, Pamela, we want to thank you for joining us today, and we really enjoyed uh, talking to you, and I'm sure that our listeners are going to find your tips useful when it comes to the financials in their own freelance businesses. Um,
2: But before we go, where can our colleagues learn more about you or find you online? Yeah, if you go to brunchandbudget.com, that is where all our services are. There's a link to our podcast there. We're also on Brunch and Budget on Instagram and on Twitter and on Facebook. So we're easy to find. Great.
1: Perfect. Yes. Thanks for joining us today, Pam. Um, and we'll add those links to our show notes. Thank you. Definitely. Uh, and that's it for this episode. Next week, our email subscribers will get a summary of this episode, including the links to all the resources that we mentioned today. So if you're not receiving your emails yet, please sign up on our website, smarthabitsfortranslators.com.
0: And if you liked this episode, there are a couple of simple ways that you can show your support. Please share it with your colleagues and friends and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. This only takes a minute, and we have recorded a quick video tutorial to show you how to do it. We'll link to that in the show notes. Talk to you soon. We hope you enjoyed this episode and discovered some simple strategies that you can apply today at work or at home to help you achieve the lifestyle you desire. If you did, please
1: let us know. We'd love to hear from you. If you have a topic you want us to cover, please send us a message at hello at smarthabitsfortranslators.com. If you liked this episode, we'd appreciate if you'd leave us a review wherever you listen to podcasts. And please share the podcast with other translators you know.